Hello, Marvelites! This is Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M, and you are watching or listening to a very special episode of The Power of X-Men. During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> you, know, you would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be well, weird. You could, but that would be weird. <laughs> but giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and, and, and very kind. This is the Power of X-Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survive the experience. Guys, I'm so excited. I am literally fanboying out because I got Agent M himself in the house. Agent M, how are you? I am great. Took my um, almost two-year-old daughter swimming this morning. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. I got to notice that a Transformer is being uh, shipped to me. So everything's coming up H&M today. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. You're right. The weather is so beautiful today because last night we had a storm. Yeah, it was brutal. H&M, I don't know if you know this, but we have a secret origin story. Mm, tell me. So back in 2006, I was an intern at Marvel Comics. And I was speaking with Joe Yonarello, and he gave me an internship at Wizard. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, I, I can't wait to, to, to go to Congress, New York, but how do I get there? <laughs> like, where is it? Because I'm a boy from Florida. And he was here like, oh, well, one of, our, one of our guys just went over to Marvel. His name is Ryan, and you should hit him up. And I did. And I think it must have been like your first week or so, but I went down to... Were you on the floor where editorial was at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There okay, were two floors the... in that building, and so I was on the floor with um, all the comics editorial at that time. Um, the folks who do the um, the toys were on that side, creative services. Um, really, the creative part of Marvel was on that one floor. So I was on the top floor, and this is the Fifth Avenue office. I was at the top floor with the receptionist, mm -hmm. Mary Sprouse, who was wonderful. I don't know if she's still at Marvel. She is. Oh, she is. She was wonderful. And uh, Fabulous Flow. I sat right across from Fabulous Flow. And I, I loved Flo her. So much. I know. She was so, so wonderful and so kind to me. But um, so I went downstairs after I emailed you. And you were so nice to me. I don't remember what you said, to be honest. <laughs> you said something to the effect of, you're really going to enjoy Wizard. You're really going to enjoy the guys there. Which is true. I mean, right? I, I had such a great time. I, I left because I had a great opportunity, but I would have stayed, you know, if if this if the Marvel gig didn't show up. Um, I started October 30th of 2006. So depending on when you started your internship, that'll give you a sense of how long I was at Marvel for when you when you came over. Literally two months, and then I left in January 
to go to Wizard. And, and you know, I don't remember if it was Joe Yannarello who told me you were there or had I messaged Ben Morse mm. on, on Facebook and he gave me the heads up that you were there. But your, your reputation preceded you. And um, uh, throughout the years, I just saw you on all like the Marvel content. And I just remembered that generosity you showed me <laughs> when I was just like a very timid intern, not knowing how I was going to get to Congress, New York. I think I had to like buy a car or something. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad I was, I was kind. I think that's uh, one of the most important things I, I try to um, remind myself is to remember others are in different positions and they, you know, I got to where I am because of people who extended their hand and helped me out and, and gave me opportunities. So it's, I could be a, a crabby old man at times, but um, I, it's, I'm glad at that point, especially I was, I was able to help even a little bit. Um, so I freaked out when I saw you on the Hasbro live, when you announced Galactus, like that's insane. How, how cool was it to do that? Oh, man, it, It's so great. Cause you know, I, I work closely with our partners at Hasbro and all the folks on the Disney side, um, who do the consumer product stuff. So the toys and whatnot, Jesse Falcon is one of my oldest friends in, in this business. He used to sit outside my office the office I shared at Marvel in that first building where we stuck seven people in an office <laughs> and he had an area outside there. So we became friends long, long ago. So, you know, he would tell me, uh, he told me this is coming and, and working with the friends at Hasbro, but they were, they were great. Cause they didn't show it to me until the, we, we did the stream cause they you know wanted me to get a reaction. And I have, I have two of the Marvel Universe Galactuses. I have uh, one of the older Galactus figures. Um, I've got a bunch of like Galactus shirts and and very Galactus is one of my favorite characters. So um, I was super excited for it. And man, I was so pleased when it it funded like crazy that last week. Um, so yeah, makes me really happy. I first of all, when you guys unveiled Galactus, my my first thought were the stretch goals, which was ridiculous because I had been waiting for Galactus and he's almost three feet tall. And then when I saw him, I was like, thank you. Now I want some more. And obviously, you guys also announced that Nova was the first stretch goal. And I was so excited to see that we not only got her, but like other goals. And it's it's just insane. Like, I feel like the internet this last week has just been tracking Galactus because everyone wanted all those stretch goals. I know. The the whole HasLab thing is is pretty great. I, I'm kicking myself because I'm now, since I moved and we bought a house and I have room to have all my stuff, I rediscovered my love for Transformers and, and have all my Marvel toys on display and stuff. And so I missed the, the HasLab Unicron. Um, but I was, I have Sentinels <laughs> on the way from HasLab. He, he'll be showing up in uh, this, this month, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got Galactus is, is ordered and I, I supported their next Transformers one, which is, is a really cool Japanese one. So it's great. It's really pretty cool. Wait, two questions for you. Yeah. One, how many Sentinels did you order? Hmm. Just the one, just the <laughs> just one, the like, one. Especially because at the time when when we did that, we were looking for a house, but we didn't have our our home purchased and everything. So I didn't, you know, I don't, I was living in a, a great apartment in Manhattan, but it was still an apartment with not a lot of space. So had Rich. I done it this year, I may have ordered two, but you know what? One is plenty. <laughs> it's a big, wonderful toy. 
Yeah, my biggest regret is that I didn't order two. Much like you, I I have very limited space here in New York. It's just the way it is. But also, I'm a full time auctioneer, and my events just evaporated. So I was being so stingy, and you know, I I was carefully uh, meticulous when I when I bought that Sentinel on which card I was going to put on. But now I'm like, damn, I wish I had gotten two. I know. But, my second question for you is yeah. the Marvel Universe Galactus. Remind me, did Jesse Falcon do the voice for him for one of them? Or is that, am I making that up? Um, they're standing over there, so I can't <laughs> reach over and grab them. I don't remember which ones have, I don't know that they have voice voice chips in them, mm. if I remember correctly. I know one of, I can't find the one that has the eye hunger. Yeah. Um, that's the one that like, I would always have around so i have a fourth somewhere and i'm hoping i'll I'll find it as i go through more boxes as we unpack um but jesse's done so many of the voices over the years for various characters and different things so it wouldn't surprise me but i don't think he did galactus okay okay yeah i don't i don't remember i i think i read that on the foosh once many years ago and i've never fact checked it yeah but it's you possible know- but yeah i, I can tell where's my phone <laughs> While we're talking, I will text Jesse and ask him. <laughs> it's eight o'clock there. He's awake. He has two children. Is he is he on the West Coast now? Yeah. It's funny. When I was an intern at Marvel, everyone loved Jesse. I believe he was a stand-up comedian as well. Improv. 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 Performer. Improv performer. And he was on like some VH1 special or something. And everyone just talked about him around the office as if he was like the coolest guy ever. And and I met him a couple of times because he hooked me up with Mary Sprouse through the foosh. He was very kind and he, he was just so chill and awesome. Yeah, he's, he's the best. I adore him. I am sad I don't get to see him more often. Um, but, you know, he's every once in a while I would just call and, and chat, which I don't do with very many people because I don't know, I'm weirdly antisocial <laughs> at times as someone who is who does a lot of stuff socially. Um, I don't like getting on the phone, but for Jesse. I'll hop on that phone. Or you will for Jesse Falcon. Yeah. So, Ryan, I, I want to get to know you a little bit and the Power of X-Men community. I've told a few people you were going to be on the show today, and uh, I got some very special listener questions. But everyone wants to know more about you. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, what was your first memory of Marvel ever? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have a terrible memory. Um, but I do remember very clearly early... Marvel memories, probably I was, I want to say six or seven. And I, I was a, an only kid, um, single mom and my mom worked a ton and we were very fortunate that her boss, uh, when I was young paid for me to go to summer camp. Um, and, uh, so I went to this, this great fancier than we could definitely afford on our own summer camp. And I remember bringing comics there and I very clearly remember having Punisher War Journal issues six and seven, the Wolverine um, jungles. I think it's like the jungle saga or jungle affair or something like that issues um, written by Carl Potts, art by Jim Lee and um, brutal, wild, definitely not for a six or seven year old, but I loved them. And some Avengers West Coast, John Byrne issue specifically the one where Scarlet Witch with the short hair, she's like holding the Avengers and they're falling and which is weird because 
one, I was not an Avengers kid growing up. I didn't read Avengers, especially Avengers West Coast. I still don't like have a deep connection to that run, um, but I had that as a kid. I think I still have that issue here. Um, so those are among the earliest memories I have um, of of Marvel. I think that 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 as far back as I can remember. And the the John Byrne West Coast Avengers, it's heavily influencing the MCU now with like WandaVision and. And, and and even Loki with the timekeepers, I was shocked by that because I wasn't an Avengers kid either, but I am reading those issues now. Mm-hmm. I had parts of them here and there growing up, like when Wanda found like Vision's like disassembled body that was traumatizing for me <laughs> as a child because it was just so graphically rendered. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really happy to see that run is influencing the MCU now. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the great part. It's like there's so many great comics to mine and, and, and pull from to utilize and, and inspire all types of multimedia. You'll find things that in the comics that you'll see pop up in video games or in cartoons or in, you know, in the, in, in the MCU. So it's, it's pretty fantastic. And, you know, and, and people love, I, I find this from my friends and family who aren't like big Avengers or X-Men fans or anything like that. And they watch WandaVision or they watch the movies. I'm like, well, you know, that happened in the comic and they get so excited and when you like cite these issues and everything specifically my dad who bought me these comics growing up i'm like he, he's here like have you heard of someone called the scarlet witch and i'm like <laughs> dad you have no idea that's so cute i love that so cute and i love what you guys are doing because you know growing up and being a comic book person was very different in the 80s and 90s even the the 2000s versus today and I think what you guys do, especially all the content I see you turning out with your podcast and being on like the red carpets and stuff, you guys are connecting fans to these characters in such a significant way. And you don't even need to be this crazy diehard comic book stand. It could be anyone who just loves it. And they get such a smile on their face when they find out that this actually has roots, that there's this comic history behind these stories. Yeah, there was um, there, we had a rapper at Marvel once who, in his bag, he brought a bag with him of of stuff because he was he loved Marvel, but he had a, a Marvel encyclopedia, and like that was how he connected to the characters, and he would read the details about the characters in the in the encyclopedia more so than even the other, like comics or whatever, which is great. I don't I don't care. Everybody should love their stories and their characters however they want. I mean there's a million ways and you're probably going to find yourself looping back to the comics at some point because you get excited about them. But however you want to enjoy it, it makes me happy. It's funny. I was talking to Zeb Wells a couple months ago and we were chatting about why certain characters you have this uh, territory over. And it's because back before there was something called Wikipedia <laughs> or the internet, you actually had to go to the comic book store and act like a little archaeologist and you had to mine all of these stories and and you prayed that when you got to the comic book store that they would have the issue you were looking for or sometimes you couldn't make it to the comic book store all the time so you would pick up in a story that was halfway through and i i find this now even with with running like power of x-men and the ecosystem we have going on here I, there are certain stories I've read about, I know about, but I actually haven't read the actual issue panel for panel because it just wasn't available to me growing yeah. up. I know. I know. Yeah. That 
I, I kind of miss that aspect of, of comic fandom of just like diving into a random issue and then having to work to find those other pieces going backwards. You know, for me, it was, it was X-Men. I, I remember reading um, Byrne and Claremont really beaten up copies that we got. There was a laundromat that my mom and I went to, and then there was a, a used bookstore next door and they had some comics and I bought a whole bunch of burn claremont x-men issues there that were super cheap at the time this is you know late 80s early 90s and like not really knowing what was going on and how that connected to sort of the stories that i was reading can you know contemporarily um and then you have to go back and you find things and that stuff was so much fun it was so much fun so you were was, was x-men your thing growing up x-men and spider-man yeah, X-Men and yeah Spider-Man. for sure yeah i you know i I loved um, I loved the X Men, in part because of the cartoon. Like so many of us, um, I, I remember just dying for that show. Um, and and the the cartoon, the Toy Biz toys, and the comics. It was like this triple threat of of everything. And then you had the video game. I actually have I found the poster for the X Men um, video game that my copy of it that I have. And so I put it up in my, my office here and someone was like, what is that? A Marvel vs. Capcom poster? It's like, no, Sega Genesis X-Men. And on the back, it's, it's a, like, um, it's like a game FAQ of how to beat this really difficult game. Um, yeah, I, I freaking love the X-Men totally. And then Spider-Man, a lot of it for Spider-Man, for me, a lot of it was the art, Mark Bagley, Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane, um, that was really what drew me into Spidey and in the X-Men. It was, it was everything about the X-Men. So was there a particular character you bonded with early on? Not really. Um, I loved Bishop. Uh, I thought his story was so cool. His look was so cool. Um, I loved Cable. Um, similarly, I, I like weird time travel, alternate reality stuff. I think I've just, that's part of what, makes my brain turn on a lot is is that kind of stuff so those characters really connected um jubilee of course because you know as a kid she was kind of our cypher um she was so good storm has always been a favorite uh and wolverine i mean who doesn't love wolverine he's so he's the goat i love him so much and it's so funny there's so many creators i've spoken with I want to say zeb and then cena grace as well who have all mentioned that wolverine is their favorite character and I remember growing up thinking, because I loved Jean Grey, I loved Rogue, and I was like, man, Wolverine is always, you know, front and center, he's oversaturated, but like as an adult, I get his story. And I'm forgetting what, like, I think it was my primo who said this, where he just, there's so much in his story that's beautiful, it's tragic, and it just resonates with so many people. And, you know, I, I think as a kid, I leaned more into the mutant metaphor than some of the other thematic elements with characters like Wolverine that now as an adult, I appreciate. And you get to go back and you get to revisit characters like that and just be like, yeah, Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's incredible. I think they laid good groundwork in, in X-Men in the actual X-Men books, but specifically Larry Hama, I think his run is so incredible and is really like, it's something I want to go back to when I, have time um so <laughs> you're like anti i i know it's just like i'm reading my my wife's next novel i've got like a whole bunch of other things i've got a, a bookshelf full of like to read books plus all the stuff that i read for work um but 
you know, the Larry Hama run specifically really supercharged me. I remember bringing home Wolverine number 50 and it has that, that die cut cover and the yellow and, and it's it like, and rereading that issue and the issues before it and the issues after it. And I remember like going to get, I think it was 41 or 42, which has um, Cable and Sabretooth and Wolverine and it has Albert and LCD. And like, there was just so much going on and patch of it all. Like, man, Wolverine has just got such a cool, um, like backstory and supporting cast and weird way of traveling and, and, um, and he's, yeah, like the tragedy of it all. And the fact that he just keeps getting up yeah, and, and keeps moving right. forward is so important. We, we, two follow-up questions. One, yeah. is your wife a novelist? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. W- mm-hmm. What's the name of her last book? Uh, well, her first novel came out. It's called rebel girls, um, which is, unfortunately now very relevant with all the abortion ban stuff going on and, and, and conversations about that stuff, but it's a great book. It's called rebel girls. Um, that came out in 2018 or 2019. Um, it's, it's terrific. And her next novel is, um, she's just wrapped it up and it's, so I'm reading, um, the, the copy that before it goes to get sold and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's I can't, wonderful. I can't say anything about it, but it's, it's really no, good. I don't. was reading, I was like, I'm going to read one chapter a night. And then last night I read five chapters. I was like, I can only read so much because it's an intense, really good book. Um, but it's friggin' intense. She's she's great. Uh, her, her name is Elizabeth Keenan, if anybody wants to go out there and, and check it out. All right, Rebel Girls, go check it out, please. And then my second question for you, or second follow-up was, um, it's more of a statement that Albert Toy Biz figure, when you like squeezed his legs and his <laughs> arms popped up, <laughs> traumatized me so much as a kid. Right <laughs> yeah. I love the the little toyetic things that they did with the toy biz figures. They're so good. The Colossus with the giant weight. Oh my God. So I know. I, my husband is a big fan too. And we just got back from Pittsburgh and I brought, I hate beast. <laughs> but <laughs> I fucking hate this guy, but I can't, I can't even deny how beautiful this figure is. And it has yeah. like a backflip action. Like, it's next level. Yeah, that is terrific. Um, so what was your favorite X-Men crossover? Executioner song. Without question, oh, it's the greatest. Yeah. Uh, it's the it's one of the greatest stories in all of fiction, easily, of course. Yeah. Um, it's uh I think I have four copies of it here. And four uh, copies, like different trade paperbacks, individual yeah. issues. <sighs> I don't have my individual issues anymore. At least I don't think so. I I had to sort of call down uh, at one point when I left Wizard to go to Marvel, I had to move and I needed money to move. So I sold 42 long boxes of <gasps> comics. So I sold pretty much my entire, almost my entire collection, which broke my heart, but like I needed the money. What, what could I do? And um, so ben now- it ain't cheap. <laughs> no. And now um, when we moved, I had a ton of boxes of books and they're almost all collections. And so I've been giving those away and trading them to friends and for, you know, whatever else. Um, but I, and comics I put in like our local, you know, free library stuff. Um, so, you know, I have a very small number of actual comics now. So I don't think I have my executioner songs anymore, which is a bummer because I very clearly remember walking to my local comic shop, which was called Gotham Manor and, and going and buying those issues and the, the, the trading cards in there and, that story is so man it just it makes me so happy it's so good and you got to read the entire crossover the the full you know i think it's 12 issues um and then there's also strife strike file 
And yeah. you got to make sure you read the um, the the sort of the epilogue issue that's not officially part of it from I believe it's on Kenny X-Men because I think it's Brandon Peterson doing the art. And that one um, has it's just a really sweet issue. And one of my favorite things that we do at Marvel and especially uh, and definitely with X-Men books is like, all right, you've had the giant crossover, all the action, all the drama, all the heartache, everything. There's an issue of like reflection, cool down characters sort of like dealing with what happened. And that is like minimal, you know, punchy action and more just like character stuff. And I think that one is one of my favorites. But yeah, hands down, Executioner Song for me is, is the jam. I always tell people growing up, I was reading things like Executioner Song, Inferno, and they were such high concepts with sci-fi, time travel, legacy virus clones that when I got, when I started reading actual novels and I, I was an English major in college, I was fine like diving into world building like exercises or seminars because the X-Men, especially Marvel during that era, again, you didn't always have all the story. You kind of accepted things. It really taught me how to like read, not only as a comic book reader, but as a literary reader. And it's made me a better literary citizen because of things like Executioner Song, which is a very big read. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many characters and moving parts. It's like a Russian novel. It's like there's so many <laughs> things going on, so many like minute pieces that come in and then they're gone, but like it actually made a difference into the story. Um, yeah, it's, it's terrific. I love that story so much. So speaking of like big X events, Hickman, where were you when you found out that Jonathan Hickman was going to do Hawksbox? Um, I remember I had heard that we were talking with Jonathan again, cause I think at that time he was also, there was like rumblings of him doing something at DC and I was like, ugh. I mean, I loved, you know, I have my love for, for everything, but I was like, I want Jonathan back. His runs on Fantastic Four and Avengers are some of my favorites of all time. And so anything that he does for us makes me happy. And so it was just like, okay, cool, great. We're going to have him back. And then hearing the the ideas and the the him like reading from his, his notebooks and stuff at Creative Retreats, it was just like, whoa this it's gonna be amazing i i have notes that i take at the at when we do our creative retreats and usually it's like to myself is like this is freaking rad what the <laughs> hell is he talking about oh my god and like trying to put a sides in to just to myself because i'm just like f just typing as quickly as possible in most of those instances as i'm listening to to ideas um so yeah i was super freaking excited i i don't want to pry too much on yeah. the creative retreats but so how do they work? You just have, you, you all just get together and then like people stand up and they just say their ideas for stuff. And you guys kind of talk about it. I'm picturing like a sales conference and book publishing <laughs> where you kind of come in and you talk about your book as an editor. And then like the entire team kind of like weighs in and you have something like that, or is it something a little bit more intimate and like spitballing? Kind of different from um, editor in chief to editor in chief. Um, but generally it's just like, it's, it's a large circle or square where the whatever writers and artists uh, are are there for it um, alongside editors um, and the editor-in-chief and whatnot, they just sort of 
go around and talk about there's there's a plan to it and they you know like uh sort of here's the schedule we're going to talk about this line these books these characters here's some stuff that this person wants to throw out to the room here's some stuff we want to spitball whatever it is um so there's not like standing up and, and presenting there is presenting but it's more just like okay so here's what i'm thinking of doing in xyz and so and then the room sort of works it out and throws questions and helps out and and sometimes blows it up and then it becomes a better story and <laughs> anything can happen in those rooms they're they're very exciting um but hoxpox like i remember when i read that issue two i believe it was where moira is revealed to be a mutant and literally my mouth dropped and i don't have many moments like that when i'm reading something i was like what's going on like myra she 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 never had children and and died in her sleep what like and then the next panel like she didn't know it but she was gifted or mutant i literally looked at my husband because we were reading it on our phones and i was like holy reading fuck. it on your phones i know i know it, get a tablet face. at least please oh. the, or breathe especially you got Pepe and RB. Like, come oh, on, man. Beautiful. I know. Well, so we we buy the trades. We buy the hardcovers and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I agree. Listen, my on ongoing, you want to do it is an fine. ongoing battle in my marriage is that I lose everything from my wedding ring to my iPad. So <laughs> I'm not allowed to have nice things. But Fair. I agree. If if tablets and print are gorgeous, I can't do print, limited space here. And I read like a zillion comics. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. I get that fully. It's just <laughs> like for me, you know, I have to read comics ahead of time for the mm -hmm. podcast and the things that we do. And so I ended up buying this year. I bought a like a newer iPad, like a bigger one because I and I'm like, if I end up not being able to get the high res PDF, I'm just like, this is why am I even doing this? Because I need to see it as it's intended, really beautiful. Um, the artist is just so important for all this. So. I got to tell you, you're absolutely right. Like, I love the editor for Comixology. It helps me read. I'm just kind of used to it at this point to go like that. But when I read the trade, or if I see my husband has a tablet, or if I see it on my husband's tablet, I'm like, oh my God. Like, it really is intended for that kind of reading. Yeah. But wait, I have a follow-up question here. I'm sorry, I, I never have so many follow-up questions, but you, you just trigger so much in me. When I was... At Marvel, someone used to go around with like these like first passes of the comics before they were printed. make readies. The make readies. Mm -hmm. Do you guys still do the make readies? Well, since work from home, um, I don't. I'm sure that they're still created because that's part of the, the the printing process. I used to get a set of make readies every week, which made me so happy because I got to see all the variant covers. Um, and for stuff like, I still have make readies and. Uh, I have a War of the Realms tattoo that I got with Jason, but um, so these are the make readies, and I, I've only oh, kept these. Um, so that yeah, they're large. You can see the the color borders, and so we have the variant covers that are on them. Um, usually, I would just um, I would read them and then save some of the variants, give them away. These have actually larger yeah. borders than most of the normal ones that we were getting by the end. But um, yeah, I these these were super helpful, especially for me having to read ahead of time um, when we were in the office. I love that. I don't know if you remember someone named Yolanda Cruz. I don't know if yeah. she's still there, but I was in her office 
when I saw my first make ready. And I was like, but is this how the comic books look? And she had her beautiful long blonde hair and her like bright eyes. And she goes, my papo. Yes. <laughs> Wait, welcome to the comic book industry. She was yeah. so sweet. And she actually, she ran the store, I think the employee mm-hmm. store. And she gave me that uh, X-Men versus Sentinel diorama for like 15 bucks. Nice. And it is not 15 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, I know. I've, I've those those were good times. Work that's one of the things that, one of the many things we miss from working from home is not having those interactions and and running for the sale. There's a bunch of people on the our teams who are like hardcore Marvel fans will buy every product and they they loved those sales, I'll tell you that. So, when you were in college, did you want to work in comic books? Um, so my first two years of college, I went to Adelphi on Long Island and I wanted to be, a, I was a math major. I wanted to do something with math, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, an actuary or a statistician or just something cool. Cause I loved math and I was pretty good at it. And then the second year of school, my brain was just like, oh, cool. You can't do math anymore. <laughs> it, like it just something turned off. It's the weirdest thing. I very clearly remember like when you see something and you clearly understand it and then afterwards you just don't and i just stopped understanding math the same way uh, which was a a bummer and so i had to rethink what i wanted to do and um at that time i had also i'd spent years in the like the punk rock and hardcore community as uh, a photographer and i had a website and i was doing you know doing some writing and doing some reviews and doing that kind of stuff and i was like well all right. And so I switched schools. I went to SUNY Purchase and they had a, a nascent uh, journalism program. So I was like, all right, that that seems like a lot of fun. I, I want to do something with journalism, uh, more entertainment side journalism. I had been reading Wizard magazine and, and stuff like that for, for many years. Um, so I, I figured maybe that's the path for me. So I ended up getting a degree in journalism with like uh, photojournalism as my sort of sub thing from SUNY Purchase with the intent of finding a, a path in entertainment journalism of some sort. So not really comics itself, because um, I never thought of, I think maybe when I was younger, I thought about sort of creatively making comics, but that wasn't really my jam. And it's really not my big bag at this point either. It's sort of like, I like getting excited and I like getting other people excited about this stuff. So that's always been my path and then i got my way over to wizard from there you you guys i just as a a quick sidebar you guys do such a great job getting other people excited for comics and events like i just i want to put that out there i think what marvel is doing engaging with like the stan community and even with the x-men now on social media i just there is this excitement in the air like every day like everyone's like making sure like they're up to date with the news. It's, it's insane. So congrats on doing that. Like you, you can see that passion. Thanks. Yeah. That that's part of it. It's like, there's some really passionate people, especially on our social media side, marvel.com editorial side, um, on, on my side who want, who just love this stuff, uh, love these stories, love these characters and just want other people to love them too. So it makes it easy in a lot of ways to to talk about them and get people excited. 
Which was such a, not, not from Marvel or any of the publishers specifically, but the, the Stan community years ago, and I'm even thinking like, you know, AOL keyword Marvel years ago, mm. it was so like different, the vibe there. It was like, what, you don't know this? You know what I mean? And now it's like, oh, wait, you don't know this? Let me show you. And it's so many people, like all, all the DMs I, I get predominantly, I would say like about like 75% are people who just haven't read comic books, which was something I did not anticipate doing, uh, doing a podcast. But it's 75% of the people haven't read a comic book yet and they want to know where to begin. And it's such a pleasure to like recommend something and then they come back being like, that was awesome. Like, like did you know Wanda is Billy's mom? <laughs> like, yes, yes, I did it. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that, that's one of the most rewarding things, especially over the years you know, talking to fans at conventions and, and through the podcast and through social media like someone will be, I love getting questions like, what should I read? You know, what's a good book? What's a character, something like that. Cause then I can ask them follow-up questions and, you know, follow through with things. There was one, um, one listener to, I think it was this week in Marvel who, um, had heard me talk about Runaways, the current version of Runaways, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Chris Anka, and and others. And I was like, "This is my maybe my favorite comic we're putting out right now. Everybody <laughs> has to read it." And I was like, you know, pounding the drum, 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 drum. And uh, this just within the last two weeks, they were like, "All right, finally caught up on some other stuff. I'm going to read Runaways. Let's see if he's right." And then like a couple of days later, well, I read 34 issues, and you're right, it's fantastic. <laughs> now I'm annoyed that I have to wait for the next issue. I was like, "Yeah." Believe me, it's friggin' great. And it, the the most important thing, one of the most important things for me in talking about things about Marvel, in doing the shows, doing social media is I am not going to tell someone I like something that I don't. Because there's stuff that we do that I just like, that's fine. I, I don't care for it. It's not for me. Not everything is for me. Um, and Or I just don't like it. And that's okay. I'm not going to tell someone this is good or I like this if I don't. I can find something positive about anything we do. There's oh, great art. There's something, there's whatever it is, but I'm not going to tell someone this is great. You should read it if I don't believe it's great and they should read it. Um, and that's really important to me. But the things that I do like and do love, I am going to scream about it and yell about it and tell people to check it out because if I like it, I think you're going to like it too. It's funny. I was speaking with Jordan D. White and he framed something for me and it's exactly what you just said, which is we know not every book resonates with every reader. That's why you have 12 different X titles or whatever the number of X titles is. And we know every book is for a different kind of reader. And that just frames things in such a more positive light. You know what I mean? Like, and I, my biggest fear has always been saying something negative about a certain book that someone else is enjoying because you don't want to rob someone of just enjoying a book that maybe doesn't resonate with you, but that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am also not a, I try not to throw negativity out there, which, you know, we get some slack, uh, you know, on our shows for being generally all positive. And so we had a, someone had a question on for this week of Marvel. It's like, I would love to hear you be more critical. And I, I addressed it on the show. It's like, I get that, but we're not a critical show. I am not a critic. I'm here to, to be excited and to get everybody else excited. And honestly, what we talk about is only the stuff that we are excited about. There's plenty more going on at Marvel at any given time for us to talk about, but I'm not going to put it in the show. I'm not going to talk about it on my social media. I'm not going to 
tell you about it if I am not excited about it. So this is, you know, when I am doing stuff, it's because I'm passionate about it and it's something for me. Um, and I'm not going to crap on something else because it just doesn't click with me. So there, there's other places for that. It's the internet. There's plenty of it's places the internet. For that, so. there, there are plenty of corners like that. Yeah. And, you know, just to wrap this point up, I just think once you've lived through how vitriolic some message boards can be yeah. and arguing year after year with people at a certain point, you're just excited about the fandom. You just want to have fun here and you want to incite that passion in other people in lieu of just being critical. But what you just said, I'm, I'm going to steal that because I thought that was Please. just, we're not a critical show. We're here to be excited. I love that. That's going to be the new mantra. <laughs> for sure. And if somebody wants a critical show, there's plenty of places for it. If, if somebody wants to make something critical, go for it. There's, <laughs> there's one young man who good kid. He wanted to get into comics in some way. And he sent me a review he did of a comic book for a website and he was like making jokes and, and dunking on it and i was like hey man that's not okay like i if you if you have salient points against this you can make that as a critical statement and that's fine but just sort of making fun of this book there's people who made this there's yeah. people who 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 put their time and their passion into it and maybe it's not for you but maybe it's going to be for someone else. And he hadn't thought about it that way. And so I think that's something else. Like it's easy to make fun or be negative about stuff and, and have a laugh, but there's someone else on the other side of that, um, uh, that exchange. And, and who is, cool. and they're naturally curious about how their work is received yes. and they will go out and they will search for reviews. And I, I think most people are okay with feedback, just not when you dump and make very hostile jokes and stuff like that. And I, I've thought about that for a while because I think there people have such an intimacy with the characters and the universe that they forget about the creators and that there was an actual writer, an actual artist, an actual editor, and you know, colorist. That that veil is just so dense for some people, but like it, it can be hurtful. Don't be hurtful to a creator. Exactly. <laughs> so how did you land at Wizard? Um, so I was, was going to graduate from SUNY Purchase mm -hmm. in what, 2002. And so I saw an ad, must have been on wizardworld.com, for an assistant editor for Toy Fair. And I loved Toy Fair was a sister magazine for Wizard, which I had also been reading for years, loved it. Zach Oates and, was the EIC? Um. Zach was probably ESC of Toy Fair at some point. Gotcha. Um, Zach and, and Justin um, and, and the whole team there are very close friends of mine. I, I don't, you know, it's sort of like the lines blur of who did what at any given time. Um, but I applied for the assistant editor job and got a call probably around May of 2002 as I was getting close to leaving school. And it was, uh, I got the Phone call I was like, "Hi, is this Ryan?" I said, "Yeah, hi. This is uh, um, this is Justin Ackland from Toy Fair Magazine. You applied for an assistant editor job." And I said, "Yo, yeah, yeah, great. Hi." And he said, "I got that job, but I need a freelancer. Would you like to write for me?" And I was like, "Yes, sure. Whatever you need, I'm here." Um, and so I uh, ended up freelancing for Toy Fair for about a year. Uh, later on, Justin, who is still a very close friend of mine, he told me that uh, I have that 
opportunity to I have to uh, Matt Senreich to thank for that opportunity. Matt is now one of the creators and heads of Robot Chicken and and that whole cyborg turkey uh, company. Um, and Matt's a friend of mine too. And he just um, he said, "Hey, this this kid applied for a job. See if you can give him some work." Which one of those things? Nobody has to do that. It's no. really kind. It's really good. It's really sweet. He didn't know me from Adam. So um, always think about finding ways to give other people opportunities uh, is a lesson I pulled from that one. Um, so I would write articles for them. It was writing stuff about the toy market. And I would write uh, about military toys, which was the weirdest thing because I didn't know anything about military <laughs> toys. But you know, you get an assignment, you figure it out, you call someone in Hong Kong, at weird hours to to do an interview um so if you look at toy fair magazine from 2002 to 2003 i have some weird little bylines in there um and then in must have been early 2003 um someone from wizard called me and said hey we have an opening in our research department we know you've been doing some writing and, and people like you so do you want to come up and interview for it and i was like yes that sounds great and i was living in brooklyn at the time and congress is about you know 45 minutes an hour north of there and so i i drove up um in the like a very poorly fitting suit and i had on a, a venom tie with like an eric larson drawing of venom and i was like this is gonna wow him <laughs> i get there and it's just like the worst i am the worst it's flop sweat tongue-tied mealy mouth like i don't know what's going on uh i remember being in the, one of the conference rooms at wizard and they had signed they had framed um uh, issues of early wizard and my first issue of Wizard was number eight. It was the one with Bishop on the cover, Wills Portacio. Um, I very clearly remember buying that issue. And uh, I remember looking at it and they're like, so do you like comics? Uh, yeah. Do you read <laughs> Wizard? Yeah. Bishop. I'm like, oh, cool. What do you like about Bishop? He's Bishop. And like <laughs> stuff like that. Really terrible interview. Um, and so you mentioned Joe Yanarella, who was uh, sort of, the, I think, the managing editor or yeah. whatever he was at the time. Managing ed. Yeah. Um, so overseeing staff and whatnot. He um, he was basically like, okay, cool. Great. Thanks. Let's uh, <laughs> thank you for your time. Uh, walked <laughs> me out the door. Uh, I go to my car. I'd left the lights on. My battery oh my had God. died. And Joe, I had to go back inside hang dog being like, can somebody jumpstart my car for me? And I'm, what is this? I was 22 years old yeah. um, at this time. So just a baby in, in reality. And uh, he helped jumpstart my car, you know, probably very <laughs> cranky about it at the time. And I was like, okay, cool. That opportunity is dead. Um, and I go off my way. I still was able to keep freelancing for a while. And for whatever reason, they called me back again, a couple of, probably short couple of months later in the summer of 2003 and they were like hey we have another job this is our price guide assistant do you want to come and try an interview for this one now and i was like yes and i don't yes. remember anything about this interview other than i was confident and i was prepared and i was ready and i was in a much greater position and they called me shortly afterwards <laughs> and offered me the job i love who used to do the price guide was it ricky uh so ricky was after me um okay. So it was Lars Pearson. I think there was someone else. Then there was Carl. Uh, Carl Kramer was the Price Guide editor when I came in. And within a month, I became Price Guide editor. He moved over to research. 
Uh, and so I did that for the three years that I was at Wizard. Ricky was my price guide assistant for a little while. Gotcha. And I think he became price guide editor. So when you started officially at Wizard, did Joe Yonarella give you the official tour of the warehouse? I don't remember. Um, honestly, I you know, the warehouse was so cool and so big. Um, but I don't remember I don't remember much except for one early meeting of those early days. Interesting. Yeah. I'm trying I, I remember my first day. I, I showed up in a suit, similar story to yours. Like it was an ill-fitting suit. I was probably tongue-tied. But someone else was starting. I'm forgetting the role they were starting in. They didn't make it. In a couple of weeks, they were gone. But Joe came up to me thinking I was the new guy starting, not the intern. <laughs> and was just, just came up to me. It was very like, eh, I don't know, you know, who's your boss and all this stuff. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and by the way, Joe went on to be one of my biggest supporters. You know, when I was having money trouble and stuff like that, he, he came in and was like, let's get you more freelance work and stuff like that. But great. I remember he kind of left and then I didn't get the tour just yet. And I looked and I'm forgetting the receptionist name. Bozzy. Bozzy. Was she from Michigan? That I can't tell you. I don't she, know. She had like this little 60s like hair and like frosted makeup. I was obsessed with her. But um, I looked at her and she's here like, oh, like you know, you can go get water or something like over there. But after that, like I got the tour and everything. And I thought, I, I, it was such a magical place for those at home listening. Like Congress, New York is like an hour and a half outside of the city. It, it took me longer because I was by the tunnel and I literally, it was insane. But it was like this little haven there. And it was so much fun. One of my first assignments was having to be with this girl, Rachel, who we were doing the Twisted Toy Fair. You know, mm -hmm. she was doing the, the photographs for it. And it was such a wonderful place. Yeah, it was good times. It was yeah, good. I, I still am very close friends with about 15 of my wizard coworkers. We have like a thread that, you know, an email group and, and se several text chains of, of us just like supporting each other and talking and being there for each other. And I, you know, still have one, two of the dudes were, you know, in my wedding and like tons of stuff like that. So it's great. So how did Marvel enter the conversation? For you. Um, so, so when I was at Wizard, I did the price guide for that first year and then um, kind of pushed to do more and got like the secret stash section and got the uh, video game section. And so I got made into an associate editor over there. I believe it was associate editor um, to take on more and more stuff. And uh, at, at the time, Wizard had people who one part of their job was to be sort of the liaison, the contact between wizard and a company. So there was a DC contact, a Marvel contact, a dark horse, an image, uh, Hollywood, whatever it was. Um, and so I became the Marvel contact, uh, and I became, you know, good friends with Jim McCann, who was on the sales and marketing side for Marvel. He was in the more or less like kind of PR and stuff. Um, and, just became pals and I got to, I got invited to the creative retreats and to go behind the scenes and, and to do a lot of stuff. I became trustworthy from the Marvel side uh, and did good work on the wizard side. And so I had built good relationships. And in 2006, it was the summer um, I had scheduled a trip to the Marvel offices to go and just visit and talk to all the editors to see what books are coming out. What are the big characters? What stuff should we be reporting on for upcoming issues of wizard? And so I was so trusted. They just let me walk around. 
you know, just like go <laughs> and like, do hey, my what thing. Up? <laughs> Pretty walk much, around. like they they know they knew me, and so like I would just walk around unescorted, which is weird. Uh, but I I was wearing I very clearly remember wearing um, long camouflage shorts, like uh, cargo shorts, and a Those t-shirt were a thing. From, those were uh, a thing. Yeah. And a t-shirt of a hardcore band called Most Precious Blood. And I was walking around talking to people and I was like turning a corner and I hear, hey, Ryan, come on over here from the office of one of the vice presidents um, on the sort of digital side, John Dokes. And I said, hi, John, what's up? And he said, hey, just have a seat. Let's let's chat. What's going on? And so we started to talk. Um, and I'd known John for a while. Um, and we started talking and talking and talking. He's like, stay here for a second. I want to bring someone in brings in someone named Pete Olson, chatting and chatting and chatting. And I realized at one point, and this is like an hour and change. Oh, this is an interview. <laughs> They're surprising me with a job interview. <laughs> uh, and so I get uh, uh, the offer to join uh, Marvel as associate editor of marvel.com to basically do wizardy type stuff for internal at Marvel on their website. And then I, I took the job. I haggled an extra $2,000 a year out of Ooh, them. Oh, look at that. Uh, I know. And um, took the job, and that was it. That was 2006. Although an extra 2K a year here in Manhattan, that's, that goes a long way, especially in your 20s. Yeah, you can make that work. And I was still, at that point, I think I was still living. I don't know where I was living at that point. I think 2006, I was living in Queens. Oh, okay. Okay. So what was that transition like for you? So you go from reporting comics to now being part of the comic book publisher and, and delivering news. Like what, what were some of the differences in, in your approach when you were right, when you were editing marvel.com versus wizard? Um, so there's, there's a couple of things. One, and it's always the way that I've looked at it. It's holistically, it's a support system for all of Marvel. So it's the comic books, the toys, the video games, the movies. And even back then we had you know, animation. We had facets of all of that, that needed support. People needed to know about that stuff. So, you know, there's putting press releases up, um, doing interviews, building, building content. It was, it's not that different. It's just, my focus then only becomes on Marvel stuff. Mm. And, you know, Wizard at that point, you know, there's like jokes and silly stuff and critical things. But for the most part, when you're doing a feature, you're doing an interview, it's informative and it's entertaining. Um, and so we just wanted to be informative and entertaining. And so building up weekly columns and articles and different features and different types of things. So it's not, it wasn't totally different in my head, um, how I approached it. And like, they wanted me to do blogs. So I helped build a, a system of blogs and I had my own and, and going behind the scenes and revealing stuff. And, um, you know, from there, it's just like building different things and creating social media and creating videos and, and on and on as time goes by. But you guys were sort of, I mean, you and your role were sort of pioneers for that because when I was at Marvel, I wrote like a couple stuff for the website, but it was like new, you know what I mean? There was no curation or anything. Like I think, God, I'm going to date myself. I think like the Civil War trailer or something had come out and I had to write something about that. You guys really pioneered everything. And when I got to Wizard, um, the website had just really launched in a significant way like rick was in charge of it and it was all hands on deck 
So you were really creating the internet back in like 2006. How how has your job evolved from from you know doing content like that to now having your own podcasts on a weekly basis to doing countless social media interactions? Yeah. Well, I, I think I also want to say that Marvel has a great history of doing this stuff back in the the 90s. Uh, they were they were pioneering it before I was pioneering it. I was just you know, it's, it had gone and they'd done some great stuff and they'd gone away and we were just picking it back up and rebuilding it, um, with more opportunities. Um, so, but over time it's like social media started to become a bigger thing. And I remember reading an article about this thing called Twitter in, in, in Wired <laughs> magazine. I was like, Oh, this sounds cool. And I think around the same time Twitter had gotten a mention in like astonishing X-Men or something. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to find out how to get these guys in touch and do something with them. And so I had two of the founders for Twitter visit Marvel and we had a meeting and I was like, what can we do to to utilize this more for us? And so created that, you know, all the Marvel social media for a while, um, building up our, our stable of video stuff. And obviously it's not just me alone. I had a ton of amazing people. My boss at, at, for most of my career was John Cirilli, who was actually there in the 90s and had done some really great stuff, um, had a, a great stint at Marvel um, and had come back in basically one year after I started. And and he was sort of a, a great guiding force for everything that we did. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it evolved as internet content evolved and we tried to stay ahead of it and above it and with it and and find ways to utilize the things that people are excited about and i think that's what the team still does today even though i've kind of stepped away from that side at one point i was doing multiple podcasts and video stuff and 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 big social media things on top of also running editorial and social media for marvel.com and for for marvel digital media and it, they were basically some the boss at the time was basically like you you need to not do all of this <laughs> you should separate choose what you want to do do you want to stay and run the editorial on social media or do you want to do more of like in front of camera and, and microphone and, and all the other stuff that you do and i said i'm going to do the i've done the editorial running for a long time i want to do more of the podcast and video stuff and also remain a sort of creative voice for what we do and so that's where I am now. And so now, yeah, multiple podcasts a week and, and lots of video stuff and, and partnering with all of the different arms of, of the company where I can. And it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, to circle back on what you said about Twitter being mentioned in the X books, that was the first time I ever heard of Twitter. I believe it was Warren Ellis's Astonishing X-Men and Armor's like, I need a code name or something like that. And I'm like, what? Is that her Facebook? <laughs> like, I didn't know. That was the first time I actually found out about Twitter. It was insane. Yeah. I remember really launching my own, my personal Twitter, which we had before we had Marvel and um, as agent underscore M at the time, right before San Diego Comic-Con 2007. And um, I also remember being at the airport, doing it on my black, like Blackberry web, whatever it was <laughs> website at the time. And like, you know, having other having, cause a lot of us were all from New York, creators and other people in comics press were all going to San Diego at the same time. And I remember like Heidi McDonald being there and some other creators being like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm doing the Twitter and posting <laughs> Twitter. on posting on Twitter. And I had like my interns that summer um, keeping track of all the tweets so we could put them on the website because we didn't know all what we wanted out of it. Um, yeah. But, you know, I remember a lot of people will still be like, 
yeah, I, I started Twitter because you did it. So I blame you for all this. <laughs> I'm like, that's fine. Is that what's the origin of Agent M? How did you get that moniker? My boss, the one I mentioned, John Dokes, uh, who hired me at Marvel, um, he said, we want you to do some blogs, one of the blogs, maybe do a behind the scenes thing. Um, think of, you know, what Stan did. Think of your man at Marvel, which Bill Roseman did. Think of, obviously, those were in, in the comics, but taking that kind of fun vibe and bringing it to the website. And so come up with something. I was like, all right, great. I love Nick Fury. I like that spy aspect of things. Maybe like an agent. Um, how about agent P P for Penagos? And he's like, no agent M. And he walked away. I was like, okay, great. Wait, was the M just left field? No, agent M for Marvel. Oh, Marvel. Which was oh. never explicitly stated. Um, but it I'm was like just for like, Modoc. <laughs> no, it was just, just for Marvel. Oh, that's incredible. Well, it's an iconic, iconic name that you have and that's how i've known you for like the last like decade how did you how did you lose the underscore though because i I, when i was researching for our interview here i did come across that like underscore m and i was like wow he he was able to lose the underscore there how does something like that did it just become available i think it just became available maybe someone at twitter told me or i was just monitoring it (laughs) i love Um, how you have a direct line to twitter that's awesome yeah come on (laughs) Come on. Um, I, I love M. the folks at Twitter. There's there's some great folks over there. Um, so they've been very helpful for us as a as an organization and as partners. So, I, yeah, I I teased that you were going to be on the show this week, and I didn't give much, but I I Instagram that photo of Modoc, the original Toy Biz build a figure, and the song Secret Agent Man, and I have had that song stuck in my head all week, thinking of you. So. It's a good song. So walk me through your your current position, your day-to-day, and like what you do. Yeah. Um, so I'm vice president and creative executive for uh, Marvel's Digital Media Group. Um, and so I host uh, This Week in Marvel podcast. I host Marvel's Pull List podcast. Um, so yeah. one is about just everything that we're excited about this week in Marvel. And the other one is about every comic book that comes out every week in Marvel. And we also do a reading club with a special guest every week, um, which is really rewarding. We just did a what if month um, uh, throughout all of August and having like Ralph Macchio on and having um, Peter B. Gillis, who wrote a lot of those and hearing their stories, man, Ralph talking about working with Jack Kirby a little bit and Steve Ditko a little bit and just everything um, made me so happy. But uh, do podcasts take up a lot of time because there's a lot of research and a lot of working behind the scenes and doing stuff like that. I host a lot of our videos, um, live streams. um, So there's a lot of work that goes into those things. Uh, I work on a lot of creative projects that people don't really see yet or don't know about or are sort of part and parcel of other things that are going on on the digital side. Um, yeah, there's, there's a project that I just started working on this week that is going to be a long, long, long-term thing that I'm really excited about whenever we actually get that off the ground and show people. Um, yeah, day to day is crazy. Cause it's like, I have to read comics. I have to watch videos. Um, I have to research, I have to talk to people, you know, so every day is kind of different because every day, because of the wonderful nature of my job, I get to do something about comics or games or toys or the movies or you know what's on disney plus any day is different um so like today the day we're recording is um sort of the opening night of marvel studios shang chi and the legend of the ten rings and so i'm going to go to my local alamo draft house in yonkers 
and give away some toys and give away oh some comics. Oh my God, that's incredible. Tell people, it's, it's one of the things I love to do. I just, because I love the draft house and they're always super cool and the fans come. I, if a fan is going to be there at like a six or a seven o'clock showing the night, the first possible time that they can see a movie, I want to do whatever I can to make it even more special for them in my own little way. Um, so I, you know, I have, I have a ton of toys and comics that I can always share with folks. So to me, it's, it's a little bit of, of fun and, and also getting to watch the movie with the fans who are that rabid makes me so happy. Have, have so you that's seen just like a random day? Have you, have you seen the movie? Already? Yeah, I saw it like two months ago, I think. Oh my god. Um, and I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. Like got me like cheering at one point. Um, and I saw it unfinished. So I'm exceptionally excited to see it on a big screen, fully completed, everything about it. So it's great. It's really, I, really great. I, I'm so excited. I'm going tonight with my husband. We're going at the seven o'clock, eight o'clock showing. I'm forgetting which one. I'm beyond excited. Everyone is so excited for it. Yeah. Like, congratulations on like these characters that you're bringing into like the pop cultural lexicon because so many people didn't even know he existed oh. until now. And, and now that that's all anyone can talk about. And Aquafina looks so funny in it. She's great. I, I, I will take no credit for it. Um, yeah. It's Marvel studios doing amazing work and, and Marvel comics who have, you know, really, especially now there's a great uh, Shang-Chi series that's going on written by Jean Luen Yang with art by DK Ruan. Um, which I highly suggest anybody check out, especially if you have Marvel Unlimited. The first two issues, I think, one or two issues are up there right now for the current series, and it's fantastic. And there's a series that came out last year, really, really good. Um, the character is going to have a, a, an amazing place. Like I've been at Marvel long enough where I remember when we had to educate people on Tony Stark and Iron yeah. Man. Um, and we had videos showing that Iron Man wasn't a robot because there was research saying that kids thought Iron Man was a robot. We had a show that there was a man inside it. And so people didn't know Iron Man in 2006, 7, 8, the way they know him now. So hopefully people will know Shang-Chi in, in a similar way 10 years from now. What's the number one question you get from fans when you're, when you're interacting with Marvel fans? It often um something about stanley in one way shape or form <laughs> like what have you ever met stanley have you ever talked to stanley did what was stanley writing like something creative and you know explain them yes i've i've met stan a number of times i've interviewed him a number of times he was always warm and sweet and there's there's one interview where he just said oh boy he did a great job that was a lot of fun and like he probably said that to everybody but honestly, it was one of the greatest moments of my career is like, and the camera stopped rolling. He didn't, you know, it was just like, you know, puts his hand on me and he was, he just, Stan Lee had, was really kind and he didn't have to be. And that was, yeah. that was wonderful. So that meant a lot. Um, it's often about Stan Lee, something about Stan Lee. I spoke with Larry Houston a couple of months ago yeah. and I love Larry Houston so much. And I have to get him on one of my shows. So oh, he is such a great human being. I've had him on for three episodes, I believe. I want to say maybe four. And one of his favorite stories about Stan was that like, he'll walk in and you know, he could either be J Jonah Jameson or he could be Peter Parker. And, and when he was Peter Parker, he would jump on the tables and just be so excited and just be in your face and so animated. And that's just such a wonderful image to have. Yeah. 
of of Stan and all that. Yeah, there was we did a we used to do these Comic-Con live streams and we would when we at one point we were doing them right on the side of the Marvel booth at San Diego and just a little stanchion and people could hang out and watch and um we had Stan on for one of our interviews and the the riser was like the little with a tiny little stage three two or three feet off the ground and stan in his 90s said all right gang see ya and he jumps off of it and it was like all of a slow-mo like no No. and he was just like do 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 off he went being stan lee living his life it was was pretty great what do you think little ryan would say little agent m would say if the, the 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 boy who was going to camp reading Punisher War Journal would see your life today. Not only with everything you've done in the in the comic industry with Marvel, but with your wife and your daughter. Like, what do you think? Little Agent M would say. I mean, you'd be really happy. I, I remember also as a little kid, um, I loved the Stanley Presents at the top of the comics in the nineties, eighties um, so and nineties. I really loved those. And I remember with a friend of mine, we were making up our own characters and we were making up our own origin stories with Stanley Presents, whatever the character was. Um, and so I think he'd be really happy. Um, he'd be like wildly confused at like everything, um, knowing like how much he loved comics and where, where everything has gone since then. But he'd be super friggin' happy be like um you're gonna watch a movie with spider-man holding the infinity gauntlet with valkyrie on her horse and they're trying to stop thanos because he just decimated half the universe boom he would lose his mind to know that thanos was in a movie because i I remember going to a local five and ten when i was 10 years old it was it had to be like december-ish of 1991 and seeing on the spinner rack at the the local drugstore infinity gauntlet number six and x-men number three and picking them both up and like those were so incredible and important issues for me and like rereading both of those over and over and over again and finally getting the other parts of both of those runs and diving further into everything but like yeah you'd be crazy excited (laughs) What's what's the best advice you've gotten being part of the comic book industry? Um, there was an early piece of advice I got at Wizard, which I think has been really helpful for me in, in being in the industry. Um, it was my first meeting at Wizard, and it was a planning meeting for a future uh, future issue. And there was an editor at the time, Andy Serwin. Uh, oh, I remember really Andy. Great. Yeah, Andy was wonderful. And he said um we were planning out the stuff and we were at the time we were talking about batman hush and batman hush was still going on um jeff Loeb and jim lee and we were um discussing the story and uh he explains the, the ending and reveals who hush is and this is there's still six issues left in the in the story and i was just a fan coming in as a fan just you know reading the books and loving the mystery of it all and they tell me the ending and I'm like, what are you doing? I, I, I won't, can't spoil that. I'm exasperated and upset. <laughs> and, um, and he goes, hey, shut the fuck up. Everything you love will be spoiled for you from now on. So deal with it. <laughs> and like po- finger in face and Andy's like six, five. And he's like 200, 
80 pound whatever he was big like guy the bounty man yeah and i was like <laughs> okay and it was like i needed that slap in the face and for me that was really important because truly everything that we do at marvel is spoiled for me ahead of time mm. in one way shape or form but that's okay it's helped me learn to appreciate the the stories the journey the art of it all even more so maybe i know the ending or i know repercussions or i know what everything is leading to which i don't want anyone else to have to deal with but for me it's fine it's part of the job it's helped me enjoy and learn all the things i do a lot more um but when someone wants spoilers and wants info i said no you don't <laughs> no do not go for spoilers stay if you like you don't need the spoilers enjoy those surprises i when i do get a surprise it's so rewarding for me so that's you know there's a, a bunch of other things that, but in terms of like just practical advice that helped me fully sort of like deal with parts of the job that was that was one of those fun things that helped me so i want to i don't want to ask for any spoilers but are there any upcoming projects that you're working on that you're, I know you mentioned something that was going to be very long, long journey, but is there anything that's a little bit closer on the horizon that you're just like, or maybe a story from editorial that you're just so excited to, for the fans to read? Yeah. I mean, there's always stuff, right? Like that's part of the beauty is, is Marvel has so much going on in any given time, you know, I want everybody to see all the episodes of Marvel Studios. What if? Because it's my my favorite thing in the world. Um, so good. It's so seeing, good. Yeah, seeing the the slate of all the movies coming is so incredible, and all the the original series on Disney Plus. Uh, on the comic side of things, we just released you know these eight tentpole teasers of new series coming over the next you know six months or Once so. Once again, which, you guys broke the internet. <laughs> Sorry. It's pretty good. Uh, the 10 lives and X deaths of Wolverine um, talking with Benjamin Percy about that and Joshua Kassar about that, uh, you know, off offhand. It's just like, oh boy. This People are so excited. Yeah. I It is such a great time to, it's always been a great time to be a, a fan, but in particular now being an X-Men fan, I mean, it's everyone's salivating. Like all eyes are on the Xbox and you guys just right before we hit record, you guys dropped the Inferno trailer and oh my God. I look, <laughs> I'm a huge mystique and destiny Same. fan. I want her to burn it all down. Burn it. I love, I, and uh, you know, I put myself in, in, in mystique shoes. If someone told me that if I had lost my wife, and then someone told me that they could bring her back, but they're not going to. Oh. There's repercussions, man. You better watch out, especially when you're Mystique. So, and they have one of my favorite romances in all of comics and everything about them is just perfect. So I'm very excited for this. I think it's going to be a great story. And there's plenty, you know, someone asked me like, will there be X-Men comics after this? Will there be a Krakoa? And I was like, you're going to have to wait and see, true believer. Wait and see. Uh, which is really cool. There's yeah, th that kind of stuff is, is, is super, super exciting. Um, yeah, like everything that we announced recently is, is great, but that's still so just like a couple of things. She-Hulk by Rainbow Rowell, get out of here again, oh, runaways. Everybody should be reading this current oh. run of runaways. It's only 36 issues because it, it finished, but her She-Hulk is going to be good. Timeless is going to be what Avengers forever. Like everything that the the comic side is doing is is pretty pretty 
rad coming up and there's stuff that we haven't announced that like i'm waiting for us to talk about um which i'm i'm jazzed for uh, when does this come out this, this probably in yeah in two weeks well in two weeks you'll know something else that uh i i can't spoil for us uh here but um especially on the uh on on the digital side of things people are going to be very excited and very um there's lots of really cool new stuff headed their way we're, we're so excited. I'm literally just salivating right now. You know, I'm also a big video game person and you mm. guys just released the info on Midnight Suns, which, oh my God, like that's gorgeous. Like the yeah. game looks so much, and you can be, the magic is in there. I mean, like Dr. Strange. Yeah. Magic is great. That, that boat, that, um, that game, I remember seeing it a while ago and being like, we're doing this game. Hell yeah. Um, I didn't and, even know and- this game was even in the pipeline i was just shocked i know when I well, we, we only announced it uh, officially a week or two ago oh, okay but, so there know, these... wasn't like any info on it beforehand no 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 yeah but you know these games are in development for a long time so yeah it's um it's it's again it's exciting to see these things come to fruition and you know by the time this comes out who knows what else they'll know it's i one of my favorite uh things to just throw up online is um the gift from men in black uh where uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are sitting down. He's like, and Tommy Lee Jones says, imagine what you'll know tomorrow. And oh. Like that whole sequence that to me is, is what Marvel is, is like, you get excited about everything today, but imagine what you'll know tomorrow. <laughs> and it's, it's true. It's honestly true. I look at our schedules. I look at what we're doing and I look at like the overall, every part of the company, there's something that tomorrow is going to be a really great day. And then the day after that, mm, just mm. you wait. And it's oh, like man. that kind of thing is is really fun. Cheap plug for me. We just released a, a game on mobile called Marvel Future Revolution. And oh, yeah. When everybody plays that, they get to interact with Agent M many times in the game. I'm in like a number of places. Uh, I did the VO. They took my uh, my image and, and, and stuff. So I am a vendor, a non-playable character throughout the game, not just in one region. I have many uh, costume changes, as people will see as they get further along in the game. It's really cool. I am so excited for Marvel Future Revolution. I love open world games. And you are in canon there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really cool. It's um, It's a lot of fun. It's something that I did a long time ago and have picked up a couple of different things as we do it along the way. And we did some live streams and now that it's actually in people's hands and they're like, this is a really pretty game and it's fun and it's easy to pick up and play. And it's kind of addictive. And I was like, yeah, they did a great job. Everyone has been saying that from Kotaku to other, like just random tweets. People have just been enjoying that game so much. I remember I was so upset when Marvel universe online went away yeah, and, and now we have this and it's so great. What wait, what was it like? like the process to, to become a video game character. Like, do you go into like a spaceship and they just take your likeness and you just do your voiceover? No, I mean the, the, the team at Netmarble are really talented. I gave them a bunch of photos, some high res photos, and they just, they made it work from there. Um, they created, you know, the models I have like over time slack, images and details and stuff from uh, the producer on the Marvel game side, Danny Koo, who's just incredible. It was probably his idea to, to put me in there. So he's, he's one of my favorite people, if not for the other amil- amazing things he's done, but for that, um, and just, yeah, they, they asked me, I did some voiceover, you know, we recorded, um, VO lines of like, Hey, hi. Oh, it's funny to see you here. That kind of stuff. You know, it's, 
you know, which is really fun. I've, I've done that stuff before, you know, being in the Lego video games and being in this. And now it's, it's really cool. I have a cameo in the, the Modoc TV show on Hulu and who knows where else fans may see me in the future. Oh, okay. All right. That's a really good tease right there. Mm-hmm. Ryan, you have been so generous with your time. I have a few more questions and then we're going to hit listener questions. Great. So this next section of questions are just like really just like absurd questions, but not actually they're not all absurd, but I want to kind of get your, your, your feels or your thoughts on that. So to your knowledge, has Kevin Feige and Jonathan Hickman ever been in the same room together? Hmm. To my knowledge, I can't say for sure, but, um, Anything is possible. I'm trying to like rack my brain around different things. It's certainly possible. And, but there's, you know, that's the thing. It's like, as much as I know, I know nothing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, everyone, everyone, all eyes on the X-Men, not only in the comic books, but for the MCU. So everyone's just so excited for those. Which character needs the Marvel Legends treatment? Ooh, that's a good one. Marvel Legends does such a great job. At finding, digging deep. I would love a D-Man figure. I don't know <gasps> if Dennis has gotten, I don't think he's gotten a figure yet. I don't think so um, either. Oh, that's like, a good one. So good. Um, such a wonderful character. Um, yeah, D-Man would be really, like I genuinely love D-Man. There's an issue of Wizard where um, in the beginning we would have characters, uh, we would have like, table of contents and all kinds of stuff. And then we would put someone's face on an action figure. And I was so happy. We put my face on a D man figure back in the day. Um, Cause I really love him. Um, I would, you know, I would have said Modoc, uh, a newer Modoc, but we got two of those this year, which is hashtag blessed. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would love a, just, I don't know when, when they did a Bishop, if there is a Bishop, there is a um, Bishop. Yeah. I think it was um, a Sauron wave. Okay. Yeah. So I only really like got back deep into them as I've gotten more space because yeah. I would usually like just give my, I honestly would give a lot of those toys away um, when I didn't have room and, you know, I was going to conventions. I would like to give stuff to, to fans and now nice. they've just been like hoarding them. <laughs> um, oh, Dargo Couture. Uh, I would love a Dargo oh, Couture yeah. figure who is the Thor, a future Thor from um, the Tom DeFalco around friends era of of thor he's part of the thor core um i just love him he's got a big beautiful mullet he's got ridiculous costume as a 90s kid he i was so fascinated by dargo couture um so when if they get to a dargo couture figure something's crazy going on we got a thunderstrike so hope i forgot he existed until now i literally just forgot he's he was gorgeous i mean the long fabio yeah. hair and like yes. I, he yes. has like a deep cut on his like mm-hmm. um, costume. Beautiful. I, thank you yeah. for my next episode deep dive. <laughs> oh, great. It's actually a very easy deep dive. He doesn't have a ton of appearances, <laughs> um, which is fine. You know, he, he'd be cool. Oh, I would love a big Mangog figure, like a big, they would have to do almost like a, I don't even, it's more than a build a figure because Mangog should be huge, but still. Yeah. Anyway, those would be really cool. Who would win in a taco eating contest, Modoc or Deadpool? Hmm. I feel like Deadpool would. Modoc, I think, has a has a, a testy tummy, and oh, he wouldn't Modoc. get 
I, I think he wouldn't be able to handle too much <laughs> uh, before he has to tap out. Even though he's a lot bigger, seemingly, there's not a lot of room for his belly in that giant <laughs> structure of his. Um, whereas Deadpool, you know, he's burning calories. He's got great metabolism. He is, you know, churning through that food and he's used to eating a lot of those tacos. You're a big taco fan? Yeah. yeah. Did he read I mean, that I, somewhere? Yeah, I, I like them. They're okay. <laughs> um, what's the coolest thing in your collection right now? Um, so I have two things. One is this is uh, my going away present from Wizard, which is an original um, drawing by Steve Dillon. Oh, uh, my, my all time Among my all-time favorite artists, it is uh, Etrigan the Demon writing modok um both jack kirby characters my two favorite characters um and it's an original uh ricky purden commissioned steve to do it for me um i mourn steve dylan's loss um all the time steve my favorite artist from preacher and punisher and, and, and stuff like that and hellblazer um he had never drawn either character i may have the only time he ever drew <laughs> either character um so i have that that is one of my all-time favorite things and then this is especially important for your show this is an original page from x-force number 20 um <gasps> from the hellfire gala and it's the page I love with, that shot of emma uh it's page with me yeah and my yeah. co-host on this week in marvel lorraine and james I love lorraine so much oh yeah. my god that is gorgeous yeah, and so uh, I got this from Joshua Kassara. Um, he also, because he's such a sweetheart, he also sent me like an original drawing of Wolverine's claws just because he did. I have it somewhere around here. Um, trying to make sure it doesn't get bent. Yeah. He, <gasps> he threw this in when he sent me the original art for the, oh uh, the X-Force page. Um, That's gorgeous. Yeah, I, I love Josh so much. He's... You're gonna make you're you're gonna make your local framers very happy. Yeah, I know. I have to. I haven't gone and framed it yet because I've been using it in some of my shots, and I'm like, well, eventually I gotta put it in a, in a really nice frame. All right, we have some really quick listener questions, and I'm gonna share my screen because everyone was so excited um, when I said you were gonna be on the show that they wanted to record the questions. Great. So let me just try to get share the screen here. Boom. What is one book you always go back to read for enjoyment? And that was Cole L, who is a podcaster. Cole, um, what is one book I always go back for to read for enjoyment? Um, Executioner Song. I know I've talked about it a bunch, but I, I again, I've reread that a lot. Exiles um, by Judd oh, Winnick and Mike McCone and, and crew. Um, that Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe uh, by Garth. Uh, I will go back to that a lot. I love that. Um, Hulk Future Imperfect, um, Infinity Gauntlet, kind of like George Perez time. Um, yeah, Infinity Gauntlet a lot. Um, Thanos Quest as well. Oh, I love those. Those are those are most of the regular. Sometimes I'll go back to like. Bendis era of various uh, Daredevil or Avengers things um, as well. So, okay. Some of those. 
All right, our next question. Pow and hello to the Power of X Men podcast. My name is Dan W from Dan Who Reviews, and I have a question for your very special guest, Agent M. So this week I was lucky enough to reveal the brand new Captain Britain Marvel Legend. So that gets me thinking: Who is Agent M's favorite British Marvel character? Hmm. Uh, thank you, Dan. Favorite British Marvel character is. Um... That's a tough one because uh, I, you know, the, the easy answer is Brian, right? It's <laughs> so good. Uh, there's a lot of great stories. The Alan Moore, Alan Davis stuff. So good. Excalibur. Um, I love Pete Wisdom. Oh, I think I he's Pete Wisdom. Pete Wisdom is a lot of fun and really cool. Um, technically Blade. Look at that. So good. Oh, man. Who else? Uh, but honestly, I really love Union Jack as well. I think um, Union Jack, when introduced in Captain America, and then the Union Jack uh, limited series from there's a couple of them. There's one from '99, and then the 2000s one um, that Mike Perkins drew. It's really good. That that got me excited for Union Jack. So I'm gonna go Union Jack. How about that? Union Jack. All right. Our next one is a familiar face. Yo, Agent M, what's good, man? Uh, one question that I have is, I know you're a big toy collector. If you had one toy that you could pass on from generation to generation, what toy would it be? P.S. It doesn't have to be a Hasbro one or a Marvel Legend, but <laughs> if it is, yo, props to you. Thanks always, man, for being a great supporter. Much love. Peace. That's obviously Dan from the Hasbro team. I love Dan. Um, I'm, I've never actually met him in person, but well, he's, he's coming back home or coming to New York side soon. So I'm hopefully going to have him by the house uh, soon. Um, Dan, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because uh, now my daughter is starting to play with more of my toys. And so I have a bunch of transformers that I left intentionally eye level. And so she'll <laughs> pick up those and she'll play with those. Um, some of them are too fragile. Uh, I, I think, I think there's, you know, some of the bigger transformers I want her to, to at least hold on to and not sell them when it's, when it, you know, many years from now, just put them, put them off somewhere in the back. Like right now I have a Unicron on my desk and, and she keeps asking to hold it. And I say, it's too big. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, she goes. And then she'll sit back, points to him, and go, "Too much?" And I say, "He's too big." Yes, too much. Right now. <laughs> um, but uh, eventually, yeah, like the the big Transformers and and um, Galactus, I think was one. Oh, for yeah. sure. That I'm going to want her to hold on to uh, many years down the line. All right, our next question. Hey Ryan, my question for you is: If a force was to reassemble. Who would be your top five ladies to add to the team and who would you choose to be the leader? So that was Michelle Waffle Otero, who is a big cosplayer. She's been on Marvel's Becoming and she goes to all of your uh, premieres. Hell yeah. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Love the Dazzler shirt too. <sighs> yeah. Um, <sighs> with that in mind, Daz. Ooh, you know what? I wouldn't put in Daz. I would put in um, uh, Lila Cheney. Oh, um, Yes. Lila well, that, Cheney, because then you get you get teleportation or 
galaxy wide. So the team, the A4 squad can be anywhere, right? Um, you also have a great musician, so she can just strum on her guitar and you can have some really fun moments with that. Um, I got to not pick all X characters. <laughs> hey, that's okay if you want to. Because it is A-Force. It is A-Force. Uh, uh, Cersei would be really cool. Um, she's been an Avenger before. I think she'd be cool. Uh, and got a different perspective on life, let's say. Um, so you got Lila. You got... Uh, you've, you've got... Um, yeah. You got Lila. You got Cersei. I would pick Viv Vision. Um, oh, so yeah. Viv is terrific um young can learn a lot from the rest of the squad um i would pick um i kind of want to pick another champion like maybe locust because i think she's a really oh, cool yeah. character and um can have i think could be really 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 fun uh with more spotlight and then to lead it um i would pick oh i would pick wasp nadia wasp and let her put the team together and sort of find herself trying to lead it but getting advice from the rest of the older more experienced members and you'd have a really fun dynamic to that team that'd Boom. be a really fun a force that is a really fun a force let's make it happen <laughs> if only if only okay our final question is another familiar face hey agent m a question from one ryan to another what is your favorite comic book cover gimmick are you a trading card guy like I am? Hologram, foil, embossed cover, connecting variants. What is your favorite gimmick? And that's obviously Ryan Ting from the Hasbro team. I love Ryan. Um, uh, congratulations, Ryan Ting, on your new baby. Um, <laughs> Ryan is wonderful. Um, let's see. That's a tough one, right? Because um, I grew up reading comics in the 90s. So, like, every week was a different gimmick and i think of uh what was it fatal attractions had all the hologram covers i love those so yeah. much. yeah and at marvel i don't know if they were when you were there they had the framed versions of a bunch of the fatal attractions covers around the office which i always enjoyed seeing um holograms are really great i like like if I die cut covers, I think are the ones that I like the most, just because again, going back to that Wolverine number 50, like I can, if I close my eyes, I can feel what the, like the claw mark ridges yeah. feel like because I would touch it all the time as a kid. Um, so that had such a tactile feel to me. And I think that's just something so, so cool, but I do love connecting variants. And I think the trading card covers are so rad uh, if he meant the meant the gimmick of like getting a trading card with your book man that is also cool but yeah i'm gonna go with die cut and like those kinds of covers and i have such an appreciation for those covers now from a publishing standpoint because i when i was at harper we had jacqueline woodson's trade paperback that we wanted to do with like a foil cover that takes a lot of planning and it's a lot of money and it's it doesn't always pay off it did in jacqueline woodson's case because hello but it's, it's incredible that Marvel could do that in such a really fun way. And I still even remember one of my best memories is getting the wedding of Cyclops and Jean Grey and the cards, the Fleer Ultras, right there as an insert. Boom, mm -hmm. right there. Ryan, you have been so incredible. Thank you so much for today. Where everyone knows where to find you. But on the off chance that someone doesn't know, 
where to find you. Where can folks um, at home connect with you? Well, remember, the thing I always think about is uh, everything that you do is somebody's first interaction with you, first experience with you. First, someone along the way will see you for the first time through this. Uh, they'll read their first comic. Everything is somebody's first. May not be many people's if you're, you know, like a Tom Cruise, but at some point, Tom Cruise, first time they see him is going to be in one movie, and so you have to make that impression. Obviously, I'm not Tom Cruise, but... For those who don't know me, I am at Agent M on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, you can find me all over the Marvel YouTube channel. You can find my podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. It's this Week in Marvel and Marvel's Pull List. Um, those are the main places. And, um, yeah, come say hi. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. And, folks, as always, I'm the Uncanny Day Spring signing off.